0: You're listening to the ESPN Radio 94.1 podcast page, accelerated by Sports Innovation X. Six is bridging the gap between tech, athletes, and teams. Check them out at sportsinnovationx.com. The
1: 757 is steeped in high school and college sports tradition. It's time to give local sports the spotlight it deserves every single night. It's the 757
0: at six on ESPN Radio 94.1. 757 at 6, ESPN Radio 94.1. I'm Tim Donnelly. Robbie Vogler here as well. We talked last week about the the Battle of the Bays, but it was the Vegas edition, right? Chris Paul's HBCU challenge. Hampton versus Norfolk State. It was one of those weird scheduling quirks where Hampton was going to play Norfolk State in Las Vegas. They could have all slept in their same beds, home beds, woken up, driven, you know, 20 minutes and played each other. They didn't do that. Instead, they they went to to Vegas. And part of that was for spotlight, right? It was for exposure. It was because Chris Paul, yes, CP3, like NBA Chris Paul, was putting on this event to spotlight and to bring attention to. HBCU colleges. So he brings them all to a location every year, puts on a big deal, and Hampton met up to play Norfolk State. And uh, what we talked about was, this is your chance, right? The reason why Chris Paul, the reason why CP3 does this is to elevate HBCUs, right? It is to... Put them in the minds of bigger recruits to put them in, in the the vision of bigger donors to to do all of these sorts of things so they can level up their quality of play. Um, it's, a, it's a lot of the same things that Deion Sanders was talking about when he took the Jackson State job originally, which is, you know, why aren't professional teams scouting HBCUs more? Why aren't they being drafted as often? Why aren't they being given name, image and likeness deals? And part of the reason was, well, the quality of play isn't as good. So then, all right. How do we fix that? Dion pretty much did it at Jackson State, although they did lose the Celebration Bowl. Uh, and CP three is trying to do that with HBCU basketball. So the teams that are going to level up are the teams that are going to go to these events and play very well, or the team, the players that are going to go to these events and play very well. They're going to be the ones at the the highest exposure that that benefit the most. Now, obviously, the goal would be. Rising tide raises all boats, right? So, you know, even the winners and the losers in an event like this are both both raised up to another level. But if you want to be sure, play well when you're there, right? Enter Joe Bryant Jr. It felt like, and Joe Bryant Jr. is, I mean, he's, I don't even think it's, it's a stretch to say the best player in Norfolk State. He's the best player in the MEAC. Right. He's the defending player of the year in the conference. He he is um, you know, six five wing guard that that coming back and and him saying I'm gonna stay in Norfolk State was a big deal. At the very least, he could have transferred to it to a different program and gotten more exposure. So he went into this game against Hampton. And strictly from the vibe and strictly from the volume, like his usage rate was through the roof. Felt like he understood what what the assignment was, right? He said, okay. Eyes on me, eyes on us. I'm going to take advantage of it. Finished with 23 points, 14 rebounds, 3 assists, one block. And this guy isn't like he's a he's a points and assists guy, right? He's he's a a guard from a traditional standpoint. The guy got 14 rebounds. That's hustle and desire. Every coach will tell you, you rebound with effort. He was out there putting in work. He got a block. Like that's just Pure, I'm going to show what I can do. But but here's why I say he understood the assignment. Dude took 12 threes. I'm actually going to, I, I've i watched a few of their games. I, he doesn't strike me as like a, you know, one of those guys that just kind of chills at the three-point line. Uh, yep, it can be confirmed. Uh, that was his highest total of threes that he's attempted this year. Right. He, he was not playing around. He went into that game understanding the way you take advantage of these opportunities that Chris Paul is providing and uh, the, the associates and everything else that go, go along with putting on this event and the schools for choosing to play in this event. The way you take advantage of it is you make sure you showcase yourself. Now you don't do it to at the detriment of your team, right? You don't go like, "Hey, I got to put me on before my team." Which he didn't. They won 78-66. Hampton is a, is a good program as well. So, that that like a 12-point win is more than adequate. 78 points, it's a good day. He had 23, it's a good day. 14, that's a good day. But it, it very much struck me as like and I'm trying to I'm trying to put this in a way that it doesn't come across as me calling Bryant Jr. selfish because I'm not trying to do that, but I'm just saying opportunistic. Like, there are days when you are playing high school sports when the team knows a college coach is in the stands. Right? I mean, obviously, if you're like a five-star, every game is that way, and it's like, oh, yeah, uh, there's Shashevsky and Roy Williams and Bill Self, and they're all here all the time. But there are games like when a three-star, right, and you know, all right, there's there's an ACC coach in the stands. And guess what? That player that's like, I'm trying to get the offer. Yeah, they're getting theirs that day, right? They're putting up shots. They're the one giving the speech in the huddle. Like they're they're doing it all. Coach is drawing up inbounds plays for him. Like everybody's kind of in on it. And it felt like Joe Bryant Jr. was like, hey, the CP3 classic against Hampton, I'm getting mine. And obviously it, it he didn't do quite as well. Um, the following game against NCAA and T, but still 12, five and two, it's a good day. Two steals, did a little bit of everything, got the win 70 to 66, played a ton of minutes. Absolutely. So I, I, I'm, you know, we said it last week when we were previewing the game, take advantage of it, right? When, when somebody goes out of their way to give you an opportunity, say thank you, but then take advantage of it like the reason why they're giving you the opportunity is so you you thrive don't don't be oh I don't want to take too much right don't be the person at the buffet that goes through first you know that well I gotta how many people are here okay I gotta leave enough for everybody you're taking then you look down at the end you have like seven dollops you have like four four elbows of mac and cheese because you're like you know I didn't wanna I didn't want to take it because everybody was coming up behind me be the person that goes like last. Then you walk away with a plate that's stacked more vertically than even horizontally, right? You walk out of there with some weight on that bad boy. If you're at one of these grocery stores where you have to pay by weight, it would cost you a lot. You know what I'm talking about? Be that person. If they're going to invite you to their buffet, if Chris Paul's going to invite you to the exposure buffet, take a nice heaping of points, nice heaping of rebounds, nice heaping of a win, nice heaping of defense, and, and let everybody know. For the Hampton side, they had their guys taking advantage of it as well. Nesbitt, 16 points. He he put up quite a few threes as well, but more importantly, he was getting to the line, 10 free throws, showing that he's a, a physical presence. Nine rebounds, six assists, that's a good day. Chris Bankston, who we highlight here often, I mean, this is going to sound crazy, he shot over 50%, actually wasn't a very efficient day for him. Last season, he was shooting like 75% on the season. Finished with 15 points on five of nine shooting, but he got to the line, knocked him down as well. It's just crazy that you could hear someone go over 50% shooting and go, ooh, wow. It's not a very efficient day for him. He's used to going seven for nine. But maybe he's expanding his game a little bit. He also got a little bit of foul trouble, so maybe he didn't feel like he could you know, throw a shoulder into somebody on the way up the way he normally does. I'm just saying that was a, that was a good game for a whole bunch of people uh, the whole event was a good game for a, for a whole bunch of schools, whole bunch of different different players that are looking for that exposure, and and you know Norfolk State, and we've said this, I've said this. They are looking to do everything they possibly can to get to the point where if and or when they win the Miac, they're not a 16 seed. The last two years. They've won the Miac. They've been a 16 seed, which means they're playing a, one of the four best teams in the country, which is a tough task for anybody. And and when you do it two years in a row, I don't think you're putting the cart before the horse if you say our goal this year is to get to that same place, but be better from a storyline objective committee standpoint that they make us a 14 seed. I'm not asking for like, I'm not asking to be a top half of the bracket, I'm not asking you to you know, be a six seed. I'm at like 14. And one of the ways you do that is in these showcase events when there's more likely to be a couple more eyeballs or the committee is more likely to look at these events, play well. Right? It, it's really tough because the committee is going to watch every Big Ten game, every SEC game, every ACC game, every Pac 12 game, every Notre Dame, the, the, every independent, right? They got, I know Notre Dame's not independent basketball, but they just, it's said. Uh, They're not going to get to every Miac game. I'm just going to tell you right now. They're going to have to judge teams based on their record and stats, and they're not going to watch all of your conference games. They might watch this one because it's a Chris Paul classic. So play well in it, and it's going to help you, fingers crossed. If you take care of business in the Miac, then you can be in that committee's decision-making process, and maybe you won't be put on the 16 line, which would be a huge win for the program. Huge win. Massive. This is the 757 at 6 on ESPN Radio 94.1. We've been tracking a player. This happens occasionally. Here on the 757 at 6, we track a player who who's from the area that's playing at the highest level. And as soon as we start talking about them, they level up and start playing great. And I promise you it's happening to an Oscar Smith product that we've been talking about the last two weeks. Uh, I'll break it down coming up next. From
1: Franklin to Virginia Beach, Chesapeake to Williamsburg, and everywhere in between, Hampton Roads is home to the best athletes performing on the biggest stages. It's Team USA 1 and 2 at the moment. Martinez of Spain is coming off strong. Grant Holloway defends his world
0: championship Thirteen oh four and wins at home. With the 15th pick in the 2022 NBA draft, the Charlotte Hornets select Mark Williams from Duke University.
1: It's time to track the 757's biggest stars on ESPN Radio 94.1. 757
0: at 6, ESPN Radio 94.1, tracking the 757. This kind of originated, I'll give you the background of tracking the 757. It originated, what was it, last college basketball season. We started tracking uh, Mark Williams at Duke and David McCormick at Kansas. Two guys that, that grew up in the area, high school in the area, that sort of thing. And it seemed like as soon as we started tracking them, they started playing bigger roles for their team, their team started winning, both make the final four, McCormick goes on to win the NCAA championship and should have been most outstanding player if they would have uh, just waited and looked to see who was going to make the plays to win the game at the end, instead they gave it to his teammate, but very obvious the votes were in before the last two minutes because... If you watched the last two minutes, you would have given it to McCormick. Mark Williams goes on. He's drafted in the first round. Like it just became really exciting. And then I was like, do we have some kind of power here? Like I'm not a superstitious person, but that's two for two. So recently we started tracking Josh sweat who went to Oscar Smith, Florida state, uh, ends up being drafted. I believe fourth rounder by the, by the Eagles and, he was, I mean, I we, we talked about this a lot last week. He was the number one recruit in the nation for a while, yet somehow became like under the radar. And obviously an injury his senior year in high school helped, but he, that pushed him to like the 11th best recruit in the country. Goes to Florida State. It's again, not like he went to some small school where he'd fall under the radar. Leaves early, drafted in the fourth round, but but no one really talks about him when you're talking about reasons why the Eagles have, have started dominating. There's a lot of love for Fletcher Cox on the defense. There's a lot of love for Brandon Graham because they're just bigger names. But Josh Sweat has absolutely flipped the switch since we started uh, started tracking him. And, and it was funny. Uh, I said earlier, I'll say it again, I was at the Eagles nest MCing over the weekend for the early NFL games. Not this weekend because of the holiday, but just about every regular season NFL game Someone from the the station, either myself or Robbie, are at the Eagles' nest for the early games. uh, Just keeping you updated. It's kind of like a a red zone feel kind of. We we talk to you about every game. We're giving away cash and prizes. And I was paying attention to the Eagles' game, but I was paying attention to all the games. But it did feel like every time I looked at the Eagles' game, I wouldn't even see the play. I would see everybody like high-fiving Sweat. They would just be like smacking him on the head like he did something good. And I'd have to go, well, all right, well, now I got to see what he did. I'd watch the replay. It'd be another sack or a run stuff or, or something. And, and I looked at it, and I was like, huh, would you look at that? Six total tackles, five solo, by the way, which are the more impressive ones, and more difficult when you're a defensive lineman, right? Solo tackles for a safety. It's like, well, you're always in the open field. Solo tackles for a defensive lineman. It's like, how was no one there to help you? Either way, uh... Two sacks, one run stuff, and it brings up this little hot streak he's on. He has nine and a half sacks on the year, okay? They've played one, two, three. Let's just, they played a bunch of games, okay? I'll give you the, the, the full rundown here. They have played 14 games. There we go. He has nine and a half sacks. In the last four games, which is essentially when we started tracking him, he has six sacks, he has nine and a half on the year. They played 14 games. So he he had 10 games with three and a half sacks. Then he has four games with six of them since we started tracking him. And, and these, this week, the reason why I'm so excited about it this week, they were playing Justin Fields. I don't know if you watched the game. Justin Fields had one of the crazier runs I've ever seen from a quarterback. I'm talking about, and, and I know what this means in this area. I know how high this praise is. It's Michael Vick-like. There were spins. There was stopping and starting. Defenders were running into each other. I'm like, I've only seen this from one guy. Lamar Jackson hasn't had many runs like that. It's it's Again, I understand what I'm saying, and I want to be clear if he didn't step, actually, I'll put it this way: he stepped out of bounds on like the two-yard line, so they had to score on the next play on a on a handoff. If he didn't step out of bounds, it would have been a Vic run. But he stepped; he's that that inch uh, that that takes it away. But it would have been. Josh Sweat got him on the ground twice for a sack. That's n- that's not easy. This guy, it, he's meaning Justin Fields, he's not easy to get on the ground. There's a lot of times defenders. Break free, right? Shed a blocker, swim, move, rip, whatever you want to call it. Dip, edge, run, like bend around the edge. Speed, move, bull rush. They use everything, and they beat their guy. They beat the blocker. Now they get into the backfield, and it's like, great, you're like a third of the way to a sack with this guy. And then Fields makes him look foolish. He's running downfield, scoring touchdowns, and you're like, oh man. Except, except Sweat got him twice. And I'm telling you. Like these last four games, I'm not sure the Eagles look as good, play as good, or, or induce as much confidence going into the postseason as they do unless Sweat is playing exactly how he's playing. And we've talked about it. One of the biggest and, and most difficult things that they have faced or that they've had to overcome is their run defense wasn't great early in the year. Now they they did address it with actual people, right? They brought in Linval Joseph, they brought in Indama and Sue, but I also think part of it is when someone like Sweat is taking care of the the pass rushing so efficiently, and he's getting to the quarterback so often, everybody else and and obviously the other edge rushers, right? You you still want Brandon Graham? You still want a couple other guys focusing on getting to the quarterback? But the the Fletcher Coxes of the world, those guys I just mentioned, and Dominican Sue and and, and Linvale and the other defensive tackles, they can go, oh, cool. The edge guys have the pass rushing. We'll focus on gobbling up blocks. We'll focus on clogging up the gaps in in the middle here. And we'll focus on stopping the run. And again... Justin Fields is a a different beast, but if you look at the running backs in that game over the weekend, even though it was a close game, and even though the the passing offense, or the the offense really for the Eagles, didn't get going how they normally do, taking a lot of shots downfield, David Montgomery and the running game didn't really get going for, for Washington, or sorry, Washington, goodness gracious, Chicago. As soon as I say did not really get going, my brain just just finishes the sentence with Washington. That should say something. But even Montgomery, a lot of his biggest impacts because he did a good game were in the passing game. So so it's like all right now the, the if, if if Philly with the help of Josh Sweat, Oscar Smith, Chesapeake's very own, if they if they filled in the hole in the rush defense. If their offense stops being so darn greedy, which I think was a big problem in that that Chicago game and why they didn't play as well as they normally do, if they don't get as greedy as they have been, watch the heck out. They, I mean, they could realistically still be getting better, which is unheard of. And stop with the turnovers. But I don't think that's a new thing. Jalen Hurts had like three going into the year. Two in the first half wasn't great. but uh, But luckily, Josh Sweat was there to bail him out. And and honestly, I'm, this is like this is a good question for people here because I'm sure, especially those of you that that you know watched him in in high school, especially his junior year when he was unreal. Part of it could be right, like you're looking for it, so you'll notice. Where do you think he is on the the name the name radar for Philly when people start talking about the Philadelphia Eagles and they get talked about a lot this year? We know they talk Jalen Hurts first, probably A.J. Brown next. Devontae Smith's up there somewhere. Fletcher Cox is probably up there. Darius Slay is probably talked about before him. Maybe even a guy like Indomikinsu just because he's so famous. Dallas Goddard, Miles Sanders, Jason Kelsey for sure. Uh Mylotta because he can sing. He's he's getting thrown up there. Like, what is Josh Brandon Graham's above? He's he's what, like 15th? Fifth that's that's unreal. That's unfair. That's improper. Like, I'm not asking for him to go above Jalen Hurts, but let's make him top eight. Let's get top seven, right? Listen, I don't think that's being crazy. He's got six sacks in the last four games. We can, we can bump him up to top 10, can't we? 757 at six, ESPN Radio, 94.1. Uh, when we come back, I, I want to highlight one local college football player that got a W today. And if we have time, a little Heineke talk as well. Stick around.
1: Right here, right now, it's time to talk high school and college sports in the 757. It's the seven five seven at six on ESPN Radio ninety four point
0: one. Seven five seven at six ESPN Radio ninety four point one. Want to put the bow on another player we we kind of uh, tracked through this season and and they've set themselves up for for maybe a shot at the another uh, at the next level at the another level is what I was going to say. It's late on a Monday. At the another level. That works. The another. In a world where the another level is just out of reach, um, Kaitlin Layburn, Ocean Lakes High School, took a circuit, circ, circuitous, took a roundabout route to, uh, to where he ended up playing for Marshall. Marshall was in their bowl game today against UConn, uh, and won 28 14. 13 games played, they finished nine and four, which is a good season for Marshall. Uh right, coach will be happy. Everybody's job is safe, that kind of good stuff, which is important in college. Uh, Laburn finished with 1,423 yards. It's over a hundo a game. Had 21 carries for 90 yards in the bowl game, which is actually kind of like a little bit of a, a downer for him, which just shows how good his season has been. Um, but basically, when he gets 20, 20 carries, he's a 100-yard he's guy this year, which is a really cool... Bo on his season um on his career five-star recruit goes to i believe florida state um complications there ends up driving uber doing doing a little things for for a year or two transfers to marshall uh, after graduating from florida state which was a big deal for him like uh, obviously when you stick around and, and you finish it has to be a big deal for you um especially if you're not playing when 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 you're done so uh, so so then he gets that goes to Marshall immediately becomes a workhorse when when the the starter gets hurt or leaves the program right at the beginning it was it was again weird circumstances uh, I'm just gonna read you the first and one of them was against Norfolk Norfolk State the first one two three four five six seven games of his season yardage totals just rushing not even including the the receiving totals. 102, 163, 157, 118, 191, 120, 151. And one of those was a win over number eight in the country, Notre Dame. It's a good season in the first seven weeks. So the reason why I bring him up and say it's 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 a good bow to put on the the season for him. I am a a I mean, I I feel like I'm saying this a lot lately. You guys can just assume it. I'm a football nerd. Uh I'm in a dynasty fantasy league, so I'm tracking very, very closely draft p- skill position players, right? Where are the wide receivers going to go? Who are the top running backs? It's Bijan Robinson and who else? And I'm starting to see, not at the top, but just like names also mentioned, or maybe at the bottom of like the top 15 or top top 20 running backs or whatever, Kalen Labron. He is going to get a shot at another level. He is going to get a shot at the next level. Now, it might be an undrafted free agent. It might be a late round pick. A shot is a shot at the running back position, and if you look around the league, there are—meaning the NFL—there are a ton of receiver or of running backs, excuse me, who were not first-round picks, right? The James Robinsons of the world, who had fourteen hundred yards as a rookie, despite being an undrafted rookie free agent, right? There, there are opportunities. Running back is one of those positions that I think it's it's hard to argue with, like who's the best. Like it's, it's easier to prove it, I guess, maybe in like practices because so often these guys show up and it's like, yeah, I think we have to give him carries. It's like, what? I mean, he's outperforming the starter. I think we have to give him carries. And then once you get carries, you can do whatever you want with those opportunities. But Laburn's going to get that shot. And, and, you know, similar to Josh Sweat, who we were talking about before, when you're that level of a recruit, there are certain tangibles that you bring, right? Speed, size, that's going to fit in. Like he's going to be one of the few undrafted free agents or late, late, late round pick running backs who uh, step on a field and are like equals with everybody athletically. Normally, when you're when you're undrafted or or free agent or whatever, it's because you know, oh, you're fast enough, but you weigh 160 pounds, or you, you're. You're, you know, 5'10", 220, but you run a 4'8". And there's always something you're looking to overcome. Layburn's not going to be looking to overcome anything. It's just going to be, yeah, I was at Marshall for one season of elite production. Other than that, I haven't been an elite producer since I was at Ocean Lakes High School, which is a tough, tough thing to to overcome, right? It's just a lack of exposure. But he's going to get a chance. He's going to get a chance, and that's cool, right? I mean, all you can ask for at the next level is a chance. That's... I mean, about as, uh, like, you know, Rocky Balboa as you can possibly get, right? All you need is a chance. Uh, (laughs) But they did win the bowl game also, which is, like I said, which is big. It was the Myrtle Beach Bowl, by the way, which is exactly what ODU was in last year. Uh, ODU did not come away with the win, but they also didn't play UConn, right? My buddy coaches for UConn, so I'm allowed to say that. Man, he didn't play UConn. UConn was trying to get to above 500. It's a little, little different beast. Slightly. Um, also, I feel like on the seven five seven at six, we need to keep talking Heineke. He's an ODU guy. The the background, the origin story is well known in the area, right? Um, I think now he kind of needs you. This is I I think he needs his fans to be vocal right now because it feels like the fans that don't like him are very vocal, and I and I'm fairly confident there are as many or more that like him. But they're just kind of laying back right now and they're letting the put in Wentz people just feel bigger than they are. Like, I don't think there's a large subsection of Commanders fans that want to see Wentz again. I think everyone's kind of comfortable with, you know, we tried that, now we're on to this Heineke thing, but there's a, a very vocal minority that's that's screaming Wentz, Wentz, Wentz. I think he needs his fans to drown him out, right? Like vocal minorities don't don't get heard over vocal majorities. They get heard over silent majorities. So if the majority of people out there want Heineke and understand what Heineke brings to the table, you got to open your mouth a little bit. And that'll help. Like, actually, that'll help. Right. Everyone can say I don't. I don't listen to that stuff. Oh, I only care about the opinions inside this building. Well, guess what? They, they, you can't help but seep into each other a little bit, right? If everybody on the outside is saying they need to play wins, they need to play wins, they need to play wins, maybe Heineke won't hear it, but the receivers will, and the receivers are going, "Man, why wouldn't we?" Right? It just it all get gets jumbled up together. Everyone's human. Everyone hears things. Everyone has feelings. Everyone has an ego. Everyone has emotions. So I'm just saying, ODU fans, just fans of Heineke. Whether you're here, Northern Virginia, DC, wherever, you need you need to. I think I think you kind of need to use your voice a little bit. If you have a megaphone, walk into the street, turn it on, and start Heineke chants with random neighbors. I'm not sure if that'll actually help, but and actually, uh, I have a toddler at home, so. Just don't do it near my house, because if you wake him up, I'm not going to be super, super excited. Uh so let's let's like midday, maybe two o'clock. Then then we're all about Heineke chance. All right? Deal? But I do think he needs you, so seriously, tweet. Get him trending for the right reason. It's been trending a lot this weekend, not for the right reasons. <laughs> Follow us on Twitter at ESPN Radio 941, at Donnelly Sports, D-O-N-N-E-L-L-Y-S-P-O-R-T-S. Robbie is going to be back to close out the show with Robbie's roundout. Uh, I'll be back tomorrow, as always. Here's the uh, the the ODU scheduling update. ODU women's basketball tomorrow uh, afternoon game. It'll be before the Tim Donnelly show, so be sure you catch that right here on ninety four point one. The men are finally going to play again, coming up on Wednesday, I believe. Feels like we've been waiting forever. So so ODU has some some action coming up again. Robbie's going to close out the show with the roundout next. I'll see you tomorrow. Have a great night, everybody.
1: The clock is running out on the 757 at 6. That means it's time for Robbie's Roundup. Oh, wait a minute. It's Robbie's Round About or Robbie's Roundout. Whatever he's calling it today. Here's Robbie Vogler on ESPN Radio
2: 94.1. That's right, this is the ESPN Radio 94.1. Robbie's Roundout is what we are calling it today. But it does vary on day to day. I get up in the morning. Every time we have a a Robbie's roundout, I obviously know the schedule beforehand. And I'm like, man, what am I going to call it today? Am I going to call it Robbie's roundabout? Am I going to call it Robbie's roundout? Am I going to call it Robbie's roundup? It really just depends. So, Kind of taking you behind the curtains a little bit in, in the radio biz. Sometimes I don't know. What what I'm gonna call it before I get on the show, but most of the times it just kind of comes to me. I, sometimes it comes to me in a vision, sometimes it comes to me in a dream, and, and that's kind of how how things go. This is Robbie's roundout on the seven five seven and six. Don't forget, you guys can go follow us over on Twitter at ESPN Radio nine four one. You can also follow me as well at Robbie Vogler R O B B I E. V-O-G-L-E-R. That's on Twitter and on Instagram. Go ahead and shoot us a follow on there. And not only do I think about, you know, Robbie's round out or up or whatever, whatever I want to call the segment today, I think about what I'm going to talk about. And so over the weekend, something very cool happened and it was a fundraiser for for two high school kids that, that were killed a few years ago um, due to distracted drivers. They they were goalkeepers, they were soccer players for Tab High School. And over the weekend they had a a tournament, a, a fundraising tournament to um to you know kind of memorialize them. Obviously they they've been they've been gone for a little while. And it's one of those things that is such a, it's a, it's a very cool thing that they are doing. Obviously you never want to have to do something like this. And if you are wondering who the, the athletes are, it is Luke Messick. And I believe it's Connor Guido. And it's, it's one of those things where. It's a very difficult thing to have to talk about because this is something that you know we're around the holidays. If you are if you are losing a loved one or if you've lost a loved one over the last year, two, three, however long it's been, you know kind of how difficult this this time of year it can be. And th- this is one of those things where the the parents of these students, the the parents of these. These athletes have come together, you know, kind of taken the entire community together. They have made an effort into to raise awareness to distracted drivers of, you know, if you see something, say something if you are you doing you shouldn't be doing it. Period. And I think especially around the World Cup the last month it has been the, the biggest soccer tournament in the world. And what a time to be able to honor these two athletes, Luke and Connor. They were, were killed in a, a an accident after, I think, the homecoming dance back in 2019. They were tab high school players. And I don't know how often, and, and it's such a kind of bittersweet thing to do because obviously... You wish, as somebody you know that has to put on this event. You wish that you didn't have to put on the event because you wish that that Connor and Luke were still with us. You wish that they were off in college playing their their their, their, their collegiate soccer somewhere. They they were these were two very bright athletes that loved giving back, and instead of you know trying to find you know the negative and, you know, trying to, you know, everything that is going on with that entire situation, I think it's important to kind of shine a light on what they're doing. And it's so cool to me because obviously I'm a, I'm a big soccer fan. Soccer is a sport that I'm very passionate about and that, that they are coming in here on a weekly basis and really coming in and saying, Hey, this is something that we are going to do year after year to kind of pay tribute to a sport that our sons loved, but also can give back to the community as well. These are two athletes that Connor and Luke that loved giving back to their community. They love doing things overseas, whether it was missionary projects or, or what have you. And it's, it's very, you know, you, you hate that you have to, to be put in situations like this to have events like this because like i just said you you would wish that connor and luke were still with us and we were following their careers in basket or in soccer instead of doing what we're doing and that's unfortunate but I just wanted to shine a light on the event this weekend. It was very cool. It was very cool. I've, obviously, I was not there to see the event and how it went down. But from what I heard from people that were there and in person, they raised almost $9,000 towards the the charities that they were in, in, the, in the funds, the scholarship funds that they were trying to work towards. And that's that's such an awesome thing trying to transition out from that it's, it's no easy way to do it but on last Thursday it was the last time I was on the air last time we were you know kind of talking to you and we were talking a little bit about ODU women's basketball who who dropped a heartbreaker this this afternoon against Mississippi State how about Virginia Wesleyan stunning Christopher Newport last Thursday on a buzzer beater. That's right. Virginia Wesleyan, Omari DeVoe. Let me tell you, his driving layup at the final buzzer gave the Marlins of Virginia Wesleyan a 77-76 to 76 victory over Christopher Newport. And you may be thinking, okay, well, why is that relevant? Christopher Newport's the number one team in the country in the Division Three ranks. And that is something that you dream of as a kid. You, you see that you, you, dream of those moments. You draw it up when you're a kid, you draw it up when you are in your driveway or you're at the park and you're like, all right, three seconds left. I want the inbound. I'm going to start counting down three, two, one, Buckets. That's what you dream of when you're a kid. And to do it against the number one team in the country, hats off to Virginia Wesleyan. Now, I have a strong history with Virginia Wesleyan. I used to be their their men's and women's basketball play-by-play analyst about five, six years ago. And what Dave Macedo has done with that program, obviously Virginia Wesleyan, a very big history and a strong history in men's basketball, national championships, one of the top teams and not only the ODAC conference but in division 3 in the division 3 ranks and that's one of those things that the, those those games those moments that you feed off of these are the games that you you look and you say hey we can kind of make something of those games i don't care how the rest of this, how the whole season has gone i don't care which their season has gone very well. One loss. That was to ODU. But a game like a game winner against the number one team in the country like they did last year to kind of end their 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 2022 because they do not play again until ODAC conference play January 4th. I'll tell you this. That is a hell of a way to go out. If you wanted to, to kind of Cap off the year, cap off the twenty twenty two kind of year in review. You look back, man. You are going to be riding high from that for the next three weeks because you got three weeks to think about it before you got to come back out and get off get off a good start against Randolph College, who again a very good program. We talk on this program all the time, just how important that you know the, it, how important it is to win conference games, I'll tell you this, that is a way to kind of go into the conference games with a great bit of momentum. I know you got the holidays, I'm Sure, they got finals coming up. They got the holidays, the Christmas, the new years, all that stuff, but you're going to be kind of looking at this moment and be like, you know what? you know something, we got something good here. We got something very good here. And that's what I like to see. You know, I love to see programs like Virginia Wesley and kind of getting back into the swing of things, getting back to their winning ways, because if there is good basketball in this area, that means there is good basketball to watch on a nightly basis between ODU the men the women you got Virginia Wesleyan the men I mean there, there's something special going on Norfolk State's doing incredible Hampton's doing incredible just things all over the place and there's always something to do we talk about it all the time on the 757 7, and 6 and that's why I love this area so much whether it's high school whether it's middle school whether it's college whether it's semi-professional ranks I don't care there's something to watch every single night of the week. It may slow down a little bit now. Maybe just a tad bit because of, you know, the holidays. But it's going to be a good, and I cannot wait to, to follow Virginia Wesley and the rest of the season, their men's basketball team. Again, again Coach Dave Macedo is doing some very special things. That's going to wrap things up for the 7-5, 7-6 Robbie's Roundout. we got Monday Night Football coming up. The Rams in the frozen tundra of Lambeau Field. Until then, tomorrow, we'll talk to you then. Later!